0: You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique
1: experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Welcome to the Road to Wisdom podcast. Today we have Eliza Mondegreen on the show. Um, Eliza's a graduate student in mental health and she has been predominantly looking at online transgender and um, detransition communities. Is that correct? You've also had some mm-hmm. experience attending gender-affirming care Um, ...conferences, which we are really interested in getting into. Um, But I guess today one of the main things we have you on, um, Eliza... ...is because Chloe and I have a few children between us... ...and it's a very different world. (laughs) Our children are growing Mm -hmm. up in a very, very different world... ...to what we grew up in. And I guess um, I've heard you speak before and how you can draw quite a few similarities between certain um I guess certain cases we would have seen we would have seen growing up
2: mm-hmm.
0: and like like
1: how would I phrase this correctly Do you think like
0: when we grew up we went through like natural phases of
1: no like we still saw things like bulimia would be around the school and Mm -hmm. anorexia and like these kind of issues that depression still happened um but I feel like the the landscapes changed somewhat significantly and we're Mm -hmm. seeing those kind of like people who would have fallen into those cohorts maybe falling into something else now that is quite novel still I would say um for us anyway here in Australia (laughs) um yeah but I guess we wanted to get you on just to understand it a little bit better and because you are quite quite well versed in, in, I guess, all of this information, we couldn't think of anyone better to speak to. So welcome, Eliza. Thank it, you for coming it's on. It's really
2: a pleasure to be here. And this is the first time I'm ever recording a podcast where it's it's already tomorrow where you are. So that's that's fun. <laughs>
1: Welcome to I the know. future. I know. And when yeah. I release when we release it, it'll also be <laughs> tomorrow in the yeah. future. <laughs> um, yeah. Fun times. It actually gets really fun when we have to um organize the time difference and daylight savings versus not it's been a real joy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> So I guess where we would love to start, Eliza, is basically, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's basically how you got into finding, yeah, these communities and researching them.
2: Sure. Um, I mean, I, like a lot of people, I was very curious to see that there was this kind of like new something that was dressed up as a civil rights movement that was kind of moving around the edge of my, like, volunteer and professional opportunities. And it also was starting to kind of leak into my, you know, my social circles, um, my friendships. And I was just really curious, like, okay, well, what is going on with gender? I was working in a, you know, progressive public nonprofit. Um, I had friends who became, you know, very, very enthralled, with kind of the new ideas about sex and gender that were going around. And when I wanted to understand those things, I went to the library, but I also went online and was just, I I wanted to understand what people were saying about their experiences of coming to identify as transgender and deciding to transition and this seemed like the introverts way to do that. And the more time that I spent in these communities, the more it was like, okay, this is a really interesting from like a kind of an anthropological perspective that you're like learning about this new local culture and what are its norms and what are its taboos and what are its like expectations and trajectories. And I ultimately decided when I went back to grad school, that that was what I wanted to study because I felt like it was really poorly understood. Um, both by the wider culture, but also by like the, I think it's pretty poorly understood by the clinicians who work with these patients. Mm. Uh, so that was, that was a big motivation for me was to just try to um, bring what's happening online out and, you know, translate it into basic English that hopefully everybody can understand and hopefully it's useful.
1: Yeah. And like, just to add a lot of clinicians are what our age and older like you're not getting young clinicians going into these practices who have grown up with these online communities that can get quite out of hand and I guess we see it a little bit in social media but I have only heard about how like the the chat like group chats and um Mm -hmm those kind of meeting places for people to converse and share their stories. And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of positives in that as well, um, depending on the group, but yeah, how negative it can get. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, uh, like we didn't grow up with that. So I'm just guessing that most of the people who would be treating for gender dysphoria also (laughs) – haven't yeah haven't done that research
2: yeah I mean there is something of a generational divide like I definitely grew up with like the Harry po- between most clinicians and I think where most of the patients are these days um so I didn't grow up with um the kind of online identity communities that we see now and that we see not just, just with trans but with so many different um kind of diagnoses and ways of relating to the world, but I definitely grew up with like the online Harry Potter fandom, which gave me a taste of just how (laughs) fanatical and like all engrossing those communities can be and the kinds of needs that they seem to serve for people who might otherwise be pretty isolated or maybe they just struggle to fit in offline.
1: Mm, Yeah. And so
2: when you jumped into
1: gender studies or more or less, having a look at these online transgender communities, um, what were the main things that you were seeing?
2: So I was really interested. I wanted to see what kinds of evidence young people would use to say that they were trans. Like, what did they think? what, What evidence did they find in their own lives that was like, okay, this is... The basis for this kind of radical re-understanding of who I am mm-hmm. and what my place is in the world. And I think one of the first things that struck me was how familiar the things that these girls and young women were talking about were. So they're talking about, okay, I knew that I wasn't a girl or a woman. And by the way, they say that much more often than they say, like, I knew that I was a boy or a man, although some people also say those things but it's much more like negatively framed. It's like, okay, I knew I wasn't a woman or a girl. And it's like, it was because I really hated my period or I last felt comfortable with my body when I was eight or nine years old and then puberty started. And, um, you know, they would talk about hating their breasts and hating being objectified and feeling really uncomfortable with things that I think just about any girl would feel pretty uncomfortable with.
0: Yeah. I think we can all relate to really, not liking parts of our bodies at that time, because it yeah. is so new, and usually it is awkward, and usually you just feel you don't feel great no,
1: you're changing yeah. and everything's changing, and the way people look at you changes mm. and it th- mm-hmm. it brings on a whole range of different emotions, and
0: I guess you start question you could you could easily question it as mm-hmm. as a girl
2: um, anyone anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just seemed like the most normal female experiences were being mobilized as evidence that, you know, you're really a boy, you're really a man, you should really transition. Mm. And before I had gotten interested in these communities, before I had really looked into it, there were a lot of things that I was maybe prepared to kind of passively assume. And one of those things was that, okay, these people are having a really, really different experience that I just know nothing about. And that was one of the first things that was disproved by just going online and reading all of these like testimonials. It's like, I know exactly what that feeling is.
1: Yeah. And how do so? And yeah. you relate that back to your own, like growing up? I mean, I guess we can all relate to growing yeah. up with, mm. and yeah, feeling yeah. that way, especially as women.
2: Especially you, as women. Yeah. Like I think, you know, growing up as a boy has its own challenges for sure and there are people who are much better suited to speak to that but like it is when your body all of a sudden is you know it's changing and it means all of these different things all of a sudden to all of these different people who you know all have an opinion about how you look and what you should do with your body like this is a very like difficult passage i think Mm.
1: yeah and it's being hijacked and now what i've like i feel is happening is that instead of teenage girls getting support through that and like sharing their experience mm-hmm. and realizing, like, if you talk to mom, she probably had the same experience. If you <laughs> talk to grandma, she probably had the same experience. And but now mm-hmm. I guess there's a lot of seeking within peers, and you've got this new novel mm. thing that could just make it go away or fix it. And I, there's a lot of celebration also mm. if you yeah. choose that path. So there's a lot of it's very enticing.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd be really curious to know if that's a common theme. I mean, it feels like we're obviously incredibly dissociated from our bodies more and more and more, although there mm-hmm. is a, f- I feel there is a slow returning to kind of really claiming our womanhood. But it definitely feels like there's so much dissociation still from such a young age. And mm-hmm. to be celebrated as a person who feels isolated or a person who feels like... They're really not enjoying themselves or their bodies, and they don't have any support. You know, like family, the family unit. We've talked about this many times. Like the family unit just being completely, you know, melted to the ground mm. and non-existent. It would not be hard to turn to online communities and feel so validated and
2: yeah, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So, do you think that's? Do you see that happening on the online space?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that adolescents have probably always had a tendency to turn toward their peers, and that's just part of kind of growing up and sorting out your identity. I think that the kind of like generational fractures have gotten maybe wider because of, you know, technology. And and like, if you're a young person today, you really are growing up in a very different world than the one that even your parents grew up in. And you know, these young people have been set loose on the internet, which has some awfully dark corners. And it's a place that, you know, most adults don't understand. And I, like, I think that we haven't even begun to reckon with the ways that, like, these experiences of, like, online disembodiment and disembodied social interactions and, you know, representing yourself in a video game or representing yourself by an avatar and always, you know, seeing yourself through a filter, like, all of the ways that this can maybe change the way that we relate to our body, probably on some, like, very deep, level yeah and that it probably I mean I think it encourages something that humans are very prone to anyway which is to say like okay well I have this real self that's kind of you know it's inside there somewhere and somehow people can't really see it and maybe my body doesn't always represent it or people misinterpret it and and online there is this idea that you know you can curate yourself so closely so carefully that maybe you can bring that self into being Mm. and into being recognized and that somehow this kind of spilled out from online and became a problem of you know schools and medicine and like all these different things yeah yeah and it's
1: like I guess coming from more of an emotional like parent role in all of this I mean we we have babies and we're told well at least in the world that we run our circles in that babies are born perfect like like mm-hmm. when a baby comes out the way that they interact with you the way that you like they will indicate if they need to feed they will indicate if they've done a shit they've, you know they've, <laughs> they're, they're done they're born perfect and you know all you need to do is like have them close to you or if they need to cry, then that's actually like a physiological need and you just Mm -hmm. need to be there to support them, things like that. And then to go from like, Oh my God, like we've got these perfect babies at our bodies, which like, you know, personally I didn't completely love my body until I became a mother. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't understand the function of my body. Fully and deeply until I birthed my baby, and I was like, oh my God, mm. this is what it's all for. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, yeah, and then you've got this like perfect little, like tiny human. You're like, oh my God, you're perfect. Like everything about you is perfect. And that's something that I drill into my children constantly. Doesn't matter what you like, doesn't matter what you wear, doesn't matter like what you enjoy, what your hobbies are, what you're good at, what you're not. Like, you're absolutely perfect. And then to go from that and then see all these children, like they're still children, and they're like, No, mm-hmm. there's there's something wrong with me. Like so much so. I was born into the
0: wrong body. It's just mm-hmm. like
1: like there's there's such conflicting.
0: Well, because there's these parents who are like, What's the harm? I'd rather have a trans child than a dead child. I, I Which can't. I really yeah. Really don't like reading because it seems really. Um, I don't even have the word for it. It for
1: takes it. the nuance out of it. Like, yeah. it, like they're
0: they're your <laughs> only option. But as a parent, you just accept that, th- that there's that a fear, there's a fault. There's something wrong with your child, and you support that, <sighs> and you'll do whatever it takes to yeah to, to to change that. But um, I'd love to know about or kind of hear from you about. In, what's inside communities in terms of like the dialogue with people's, cause I know you've spoken a lot about doubt and how that translates mm-hmm. in the communities. Um, what do you see? What's the dialogue like in terms of people yeah. doubting themselves or not being sure?
2: Yeah, I would say that like the subtext of these communities is doubt that is never exhausted and never resolved. Um, And the ways that that is handled because it's a very sensitive subject are interesting. Um, It's like basically when you have something that is taboo, the whole idea is that you have this like package that you put around it. And it's like, it's how you deal with it within the community. So for doubts, doubt is really in a lot of ways it's pathologized within online trans communities. Um, So if somebody is feeling a doubt, like I'm not sure that this is the right idea or I'm not sure I'm really transgender or something like that, Or, you know, it seems like things are getting worse since I transitioned. Like, these are all things that you would see every day in these communities. Um, Just the most absolutely serious, basic, pervasive doubts. And people will air these and then they'll say, like, but this is just my internalized transphobia, right? And the community's role is basically to say, yes, this is just your internalized transphobia. And when you overcome that, Mm. which you have responsibility to do because it hurts you and it hurts the community, it hurts other trans people, then you'll feel better or that you have a responsibility to yourself to kind of like to take the next step and then things will be better Mm -hmm. or that if you feel like an imposter it's not because you're pretending to be something that you're not which should always be the most parsimonious explanation it's because you have you know imposter syndrome and that's something that you need to get over it's not something that you need to explore it's not something you need to take seriously it's something you need to get rid of Um, and they will talk about it as, you know, they will be intrusive thoughts is a really common way to talk about doubt. They'll like, it's an OCD fixation to wonder, you know, to say, well, am I really a man or is this really working?
1: Yeah. And just, just for a little bit of clarity, Eliza. So, I mean, I know that you, um. You've gone more into the women transitioning to men mm-hmm. circles. So when you when you see um, these women trans men, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna get this wrong, and I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I'm I will accidentally get it wrong. <laughs> um, so when you see these women come into this space, have they already begin like begun the process of transitioning to men, or are they coming in to s- kind of suss out where they're at and if that is the right mm-hmm. path for them or are they already there and they're just talking about that end of transition, like I guess, to emotion and experience. Yeah.
2: Uh, people seem to join when they're questioning and then they stay. So these communities are an easy place to end up when you, you know, if you're constant if you're a young person today, like you're going to be, chances are good you're going to be prompted very often to identify yourself with gender. And if you have, you know, a personality or, you know, kind of progressivist politics or all of these different things, you're going to be prompted to identify yourself as like transgender. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to go online to figure out, you know, am I really trans? What does that mean? What do I do? Why do I feel this way? Are other people there who feel this way? And that's really the stage that I see people kind of entering and getting socialized into these communities is you know as they are kind of test driving and solidifying those identities
0: wow Wow. it (sighs) seems like a I don't want to say the word trap because it's it's not the right word but it it feels like once you enter there's no way to get yeah. out and then so I mean
1: if you look at Ab- Abigail Shrier's work her she mm-hmm. spoke a lot on like the social contagion of these concepts mm-hmm. um and again I think she focused on teenage girls um mm-hmm. but like imagine imagine being because and we're seeing this we're seeing this come to Australia and I did mention this before we jumped online um parents who won't assign their child agenda and so you've got like so rather than even just waiting until adolescence where I mean and we've spoken about this with Isabel Isabella Melbourne where like yeah you go through these changes and like I mean I talked about my personal experience of my boobs were growing at different rates each one and i would wear oversized baggy t-shirts and i noticed my body changing so i bought boys Mm -hmm. bodies and like i'd wear my dad's t-shirts and caps and like just Mm -hmm. keep it locked down because i you know i was freaking out and i was like no i'm a you know i'm still sporty and i'm not doing girly things and i refuse to wear bathers and all of this stuff and I like like that. I can kind of conceptualize how you would go from those feelings, and like then like the raging hormones that are just coming in and out, and feeling confused, and then going online, and perhaps mm-hmm. I, like I feel like I, you know,
0: had I grown up in a different
1: time, I would have fallen into that. Well, that's the tragedy, without, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's so
0: tragic that we've norm. We don't just normalize how hard puberty is. Yeah. We've given another option of mm-hmm. like it's not normal, yeah. and there's probably a mistake. But and la- you can,
1: now imagine this landscape where we've got children growing up, and they're not like their parents never been are waiting perfect as well
2: to tell them what their pronouns are, right? And like, like no, that seems like such a total abdication of like parental responsibility. Oh.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Very well said.
2: <laughs> but
1: it, it is just, it's mind blowing because, I mean, you've already got this issue that, that is, it's huge and it's scary and like that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, we feel like as, as parents, we're going to have to navigate with our kids as they go through adolescence and this is why we really want a front foot on this. But, yeah, you know, if, if our kids are growing up with other kids who are like, I'm a, I, I don't know what I am. Like, like, how dissociated is your body then, or mm-hmm. how disassociated are you from your body then, when you can't even identify, or no one will identify you? Like, is that? Yeah. I, it's yeah. anyways, I just, it's um yeah, it's a wild world out there.
2: <laughs> it's really wild, and I think that you're touching on something which is like okay you know, you can raise your own kids in contact with the reality of their sex and also be like, you know, you have a sex and you have a personality and you can have, you know, whatever kind of personality you want and whatever kind of interests. And mm. kids are going to have, you know, toy and game and playmate and fictional character preferences. And uh, and adults are the ones who load those with, you know, meaning, mm. not kids. But but even if you're really careful with your own children, like you're touching on the problem of, okay, what happens when kids are growing up in an environment where other adults are confusing children? And, you know, it would have to be disorienting to be a small child and to have kids in your class where, you know, you know that they're a boy or you know that they're a girl, but nobody's supposed to say. Yeah. It, like it affects, I think one of the major fallacies of a way that kind of trans activism has pushed this idea of trans rights is that it doesn't affect anybody else, but of course it affects everybody else when yeah. there is, you know, this expectation to pretend that's kind of put at the heart of like your social interactions or your education. I'm really worried about that. And yeah. and I just want to touch on something that, um, you know, you said you didn't want to call it a trap. I would call it a trap. Like, I would definitely call it a trap that, like, when you... It's like when you take these beliefs about sex and gender on board, that if you have a certain kind of personality or certain interests or certain discomforts, that that is something that determines who you really are and not your body. Like as soon as you believe that, you are gonna be some kind of transgender because nobody has the experience of perfect fit with like their sex and their sexuality and their sex role and the way that everybody else sees them everybody is going to chafe against that in some way. Like it really does set up almost every kid to have this experience of what they're going to call gender dysphoria. If this is what they're being taught from a really young age.
0: Yeah. It's so confusing. And I, I wonder, like I've had it, I've had a grown-up um, interact with me and say to mm-hmm. my baby, do, oh they, I don't know how it what happened, but basically she said, um, called my baby a they and Mm -hmm. I was like no no it's a boy but I wonder how as a baby who probably isn't listening or you know isn't really connecting with her in the first place how detrimental that can be so our school-age children Mm -hmm. if they're being called they or them as opposed to she or he what could the damage be there like Mm -hmm. what do you think
2: I mean, it it just seems a lot like this quicksand to me where rather than giving kids solid, factual information about their bodies and how their bodies work, we're giving them, you know, this, well, you are whatever you think that you are and whatever your ideas are right now, like, and whatever it means to be a boy is whatever you think that it means, and whatever it means to be a girl is whatever you think. Like, If we did this with any other subject other than sex, I think it would be really obvious how much this confuses children just out of necessity. Mm. I mean, mm. if we did like, okay, how do you mail a letter? And we were like, well, you mail a letter, you know, however you want to mail a letter. And then it's <laughs> then it's mailed. And that's, you know, like, it would be absolutely crazy making. This is not the way that we teach children about the world. Mm. But now it's the way that we teach children about sex.
0: Yeah. And you know what? In modern parenting, we, see, we see, actually do see that a lot. Like even with just discipline and we talk about this a lot, like it's now just like, oh, discipline is whatever you think, like whatever you want it to be. <laughs> it's just... You discipline your way, and however that is mm-hmm. for you and your family is the right way. And it's like, well, discipline's pretty black and white most of the time. Yeah. There's like abuse, of course, and then there's
1: and then there's teaching. There's your child teaching
0: your child to be safe and, and giving them a correct moral compass, exactly. so that they can navigate the world
1: in, as a like as a half decent human yeah. being.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, how much of this do you think is just? confusion within online communities and youth just really not knowing you know or having had learnt about their bodies or having the support in their homes or you know close connected families versus how politicalized and pushy mm-hmm. are these concepts um
2: I'm not really sure how to answer that Can you... So I guess... Sorry,
0: can you... No, no, that's okay. So I guess like do you think inside online communities there's more like a genuine confusion because of the lack of support or knowledge or education within their homes or their schools versus Mm -hmm. the political picture and it's obviously very big in America. Everyone's, you know, celebrating Mm -hmm. and pushing this ideology and I wonder inside communities do you think more people are just genuinely confused or they're feeling like oh well everybody is feeling this way maybe I am too I guess like the
1: kids that make it out alive (laughs) what are we seeing like what are we seeing Mm -hmm. are there any um solid is there any solid evidence backing like a child that makes it out Knowing who they are, being strong within their body, being like this is my temple, Mm -hmm. I have to look after this. The ability to critically analyse inside these communities. Like this is what I got working with it Mm versus this is wrong, I need to change it, fix it, slice it, chemical it, hormone it um, and then I'll be accepted. And then, you know, that I guess the mental state that goes along with that where you kind of get sucked into that vortex of like doubt and then someone affirms Mm -hmm. you and you're all good doubt someone affirms you doubt someone affirms you and Mm -hmm. you can just keep yeah spiraling is there you know is there anything that you've seen that like we can do as parents
2: (laughs) to have the former child (laughs) yeah um So I've talked to a lot of parents and I've talked to a lot of people who've detransitioned and there's just, I mean, there's not a formula, you know, there's not something where it's like, okay, well now the kid will be okay. Or now they're not going to be affected by this. But I think there's a certain extent to which it's possible to like inoculate kids against any number of bad ideas, this being just one of them. And, you know, that's, talking about what they're going to run into at school or, you know, finding respectful ways to help kids navigate situations that are going to come up, you know, when, when classmates are socially or medically transitioning and being like, you know, this, this child may be transitioning and we can use, you know, their new name and we can respect them as an individual and be kind to them. And they're not changing their sex, you know, like this kind of like helping children to stay clear on reality while also navigating social situations in which the incentives are on denying reality. Yeah, because it's such a hard, um, that's, I mean, even
1: that in and of itself as a parent, I'm like, that is so hard to navigate because Mm -hmm. the idea that anyone can change their gender is more or less a fallacy. Like, you might think Mm -hmm. that you feel like the opposite sex, but you actually will ...never know that because... How do you know? You, ...you can't. You you were born and you are what you were born... ...and you, that will be the way you experience life. So mm-hmm. to then explain to a child like... ...okay, so you, yeah, your friend is... ...was a girl and now wants to be a boy or now. And <laughs> so we're going to use these... ...yeah going to use mm-hmm. these. It's, pronouns. Sticky. it's yeah. so and, sticky. And the, it's like, really tough. That's just something so hard for it. like kids are never getting enough. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot. Like the questions that my eight year old daughter asks me, I'm like, oh man, like I'm exhausted. <laughs> and this is just like like simple, basic like where do fairies live? Yeah. You're like, I don't know. Why buddy. doesn't my friend <laughs> believe in unicorns? And I'm like, oh, we're not there yet. And like <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I like I've got it, it, I mean that is just big in and of itself, and then you know add this whole other novel, mm-hmm. like social, yeah, so- somewhat bizarre situation on top of that, and it's really um, oh, I don't, it's it's gonna get it's gonna get real. What sticky. do you think
0: from a mental health standpoint? The consequences of this will be. Later on, I mean, I don't know if this is a true story or it was just clickbait, but I did see um, a gay couple who had a baby, obviously through surrogate. And at the when the baby was two years old, he was basically saying, um, "We knew that he was a her because at two years old, he was just having or she or he mm-hmm. was having the worst meltdowns and." crying and angry and like all of these things and so we knew that that was probably what was happening like so oh we changed gosh. like when, and and you know that's just skimming the surface of the story by a long shot but mm-hmm. what I mean what what's gonna happen for the I mean obviously by the way it's very normal for a two-year-old to lose their shit it's it's right. what like, I don't, I've
2: never had a two-year-old but like I've met a two-year-old <laughs> and, and they're, it's they're, not pretty, the unstable. Terrible they're nothing, pretty unstable they're pretty
0: unstable Um, and then also, you know, that's obviously an extreme situation and version of this situation, but Mm -hmm. for, you know, obviously you've been, you've exposed yourselves to the detransition community and I have too, because I've always been incredibly curious about what's happening for these people because they seem totally gaslit by their, you know, the LGBT Mm -hmm. community because they're suddenly like the enemy. And I follow a few folks who have detransitioned and they're having the hardest time. They are Mm -hmm. having extreme health conditions, um, from obviously all of the synthetic drugs that they've had to take like a concoction daily, their surgeries. Um, and then obviously their mental health on top of that. And so I just feel super concerned about, the consequences mm-hmm. of allowing this and pretending this is completely normal normalizing it from such a young age and then the onslaught of mental health concerns that but not, are to follow not even
1: just mm-hmm. mental health like i'm I think if society it's
0: a society it ripples but, out into society obviously like it would be
1: yeah but if this was an issue of purely mental health i think I think we you know we wouldn't I say this with a grain of salt but we wouldn't need to take it as seriously as you know it's not just m- mental health it's this s- like whole social contagion that's mm-hmm. like created in an industry where we're per- we're doing permanent medical damage to
0: people like totally so it's a men- it's a like <laughs> physiological yeah, and mental health problem and when you
1: fall when you fall into this yeah into like if you jump on this train down this transition line as a kid okay well maybe it's a social transition but then you Mm -hmm. know they grow up and if they're continuously pushed into this or reaffirmed 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 even if they have doubts themselves then you know they're taking synthetic hormones which have just an absolute obscene amount of possible side effects then they're Changing their bodies and like medically mm-hmm. changing their bodies, they're, you know, castrating themselves there. And like, this is where it's like you got to stop it earlier or make sure that you've got the right interventions in place early or you're not pushing the wrong thing. Like, I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are people out there who do benefit from medical transition. I don't think it's as many as what we're seeing. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that, you know, is proven by the number of people we're seeing detransition now or, I mean, I don't have the numbers on it and I've derailed the conversation a little bit, I apologise. <laughs> but, I, like, I was really curious, like once, you know, um, like you said earlier, you know, you've got, you can either have a trans child or a dead child. Well, like, how many of mm-hmm. these kids, like, have we, have we stock-taked what the <laughs> suicide rates are pre post if they hadn't if they had like do Mm -hmm. we actually have those numbers to be able to say
2: lines like that so there has been very little good research good long-term research on most of the serious questions that come up about especially medicalizing kids um one thing that older research suggests is that you know suicide is still pretty rare it's basically on par with you know patients who have other serious mental health problems, which I think is the way to think about gender dysphoria and trans identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is that, like, that research has found that the suicide rate is pretty consistent across all the, the stages of transition. So transition is sold as suicide prevention. And parents, like you said, have been, you know, they're put in this terrible position where they're you know, they're being presented with this false choice between, you know, do you want a live child or a dead child? Like, of course, like your greatest fear is that something will happen to your kid. Of course you want a live child. But, you know, that the studies just don't support the idea that that's actually the choice. Like in the past, before this was really like culturally promoted, before it was really, you know, everywhere in pop culture, before it was being taught in schools, the vast majority of kids who had much more organically developed this kind of distress and this kind of cross sex identification. It, you know, it resolved as they went through puberty and came to accept themselves and their bodies. And a lot of those kids were just gay. And now that we have this like massive cultural recruitment into this kind of distress and this kind of trans identification, I would expect, you know, that if it weren't reinforced socially and then medically, um, that the detransition and desistance rates would be even higher, right? Mm. Because these aren't kids who came up with this idea, you know, kind of on their own. These aren't kids who are highly gender nonconforming who might come up with that idea, if, you know, without it being suggested to them. These are kids who are having it suggested to them all the time. Yeah.
1: And not just yeah. by parents or family members. It's and like not the just the culture. By par- at large. Like,
2: yeah, the culture at large. Mm. Yeah. Oh
1: well, I guess that would kind of lead us down the road of the medicalization of these children, mm-hmm. and uh, even—I mean, I guess you've seen adults go down this path as well. Um, and I—I I mean, we've spoken about—we <laughs> love to talk about the medical industry <laughs> <laughs> in general, <laughs> <laughs> and how we see the theme of you know, opening new industries and creating a problem mm-hmm. that needs to be solved, there's there is a lot of cash that changes hands or exchanges mm-hmm. um, hands in these processes, which I feel like, I mean, from my perspective, it, I feel like that is a very big incentive to go along with some of these um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: really difficult Well,
0: you are literally <laughs> being hooked up to synthetic drugs to give you an altered like there's a there's an adaption... but it's not a real adaption to your body. It's not like you take synthetic hormones to become a man. It's like an altered, I mean, adapted yeah. moment that needs to have a an a daily uptake to sustain itself. So, you know, and that's just taking hormones. That's like it. that's not the and tens of thousands of dollars of, you know, surgery mm-hmm. to um alter your body
1: Mm. and i guess you've gone
0: to some of these conferences
1: eliza where you've watched medical professionals speak on these issues um what have you seen there
2: yeah um well i mean first of all yeah of course like some forms of like distress can be induced or some kinds some forms of like self-understanding can be tremendously lucrative for the medical industry and that's definitely a big part of what we're seeing here. Um, it's not all of it, but it's a like, yeah, it's a huge contributor. Um, so at this point, I've gone to a couple of different conferences of medical professionals who work in this area. Um, and one of the things that is, there's a lot that's really interesting from going to these conferences. Um, one of the things that was most interesting to me is... People will talk very openly about kind of their own process of socialization into providing gender-affirming care, and that this is a process of overcoming their own doubts about what they're doing and their own qualms about what they're doing. And so uh, last year, there was the World Professional Association of Transgender Health Conference in my city. Um, There was a discussion about some things that are on the very um, contentious edge of transgender surgery. So things like nullification surgery, where like you just cut everything off. Like basically like you look like a Ken doll or a Barbie, except you're not a Ken doll or a Barbie. Mm. Um, Very, very disturbing surgeries. And there was a doctor who works, a, a plastic surgeon who works in San Francisco, who came to the microphone and was talking about how the first time he had a patient come in and request, you know, this this kind of very extreme body modification that the surgeon was really like disturbed and really not comfortable. Um, and then the surgeon talks about how he, you know, he overcame those feelings and came to realize that it was this like really essential part of gender affirming care and it wasn't his place to judge it. And now he performs like a lot of those surgeries so these conferences are full of those kinds of stories where like, I think the people telling them don't realize that it is a story about how you knew better and then you got over it.
1: Mm. So, yeah. And you're just like,
2: so it's basically
1: <laughs> what I'm hearing a lot of here is that basically people have a gut intuition, like, yes. like being part of the trans like in one of those trans community forums and being like, oh, actually I have doubts that I do think I'm a man, mm-hmm. which would be a very deep intuition. And then having yourself, like you gaslight yourself to be like, oh, no, no, wait, that that is yeah, just yeah. my inner transphobia, my internalised yeah. transphobia, which we're all born with apparently. This is why we need to introduce into schools quite early from what I hear. Right. Um, and I just... Like if I can, and, and it's almost like I can only prove that I'm not transphobic by doing these heinous surgeries and becoming a full yes. ally cha- activist. Yeah, changing my gender completely, or got maybe going yeah. ahead with a surgery myself. And I don't know. I feel like like if I <laughs> if I went <laughs> to a surgeon with a perfectly healthy arm that works perfectly well, and provides me with all the things a second arm does and was like, to take it off. I don't want it right. anymore. I don't identify with it anymore. And <laughs> I, what I identify with, don't laugh, I'm serious. She's really, that's <laughs> her identity. Okay. Like, yeah. This well, is you know what, identity. I want to be a pirate like, <laughs> and all, and I don't want it, but like, I would be assessed like you'd be mentally I'd be unreal. assessed yeah and like, you I would think so yeah but I'm pretty like oh god I fucking hope so that like a surgeon would be like okay I hear you but you're gonna have to go through a whole like more like plethora of assessments mm-hmm. from psychotherapists and psychiatrists, and we need to see where your mental state is at because you can't reverse this, you know? Um, And it just, it feels like from what I've heard from the information that I've kind of got, which is, you know, bits here and there, there doesn't seem to be that kind of high Mm -hmm. quality, critical thinking when it comes to gender affirming care which is yeah. which is wild because i mean an arm is an arm but
0: your, when it comes to your yeah when you more you're, important
1: when it comes to your sex organs they're not just providing you with hormones for the rest of your life that are going to increase your bone mass density inc- like right. keep you running as it like uh, you, like your whole body is flooded with the hormones from your genitals yeah. um, but you know how can a child conceptualize having a family later in life and that that's taken off the table and that's I mean I I didn't think I'd ever have kids and here I am pregnant with my fifth (laughs) and bloody (laughs) loving it and I like I just didn't even feel like a whole person until I started creating Mm -hmm. a family and I'm not saying that's for everyone but like how do you you can't know that no but
2: if you had cut yourself off from that experience when you were a child like that would have been a huge wrong exactly like and
1: I mean you hear about double mastectomies happening and again yeah. I know that there are women who have to go through that process or they feel like they, they have to go through that process but to have healthy memory glands can like removed from your body. I, I don't understand how as a surgeon or a professional, medical professional, mm-hmm. you're able to… <clears throat> money. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: It's the only yeah, I mean, it's answer. funny, but
2: it's also, it's like, it's ideology. It's mm. okay. What I wanted to understand when I was going to these conferences, what I'm still interested in understanding is, okay, when I look at a teenage girl who's going to a gender clinic and says she wants her breasts cut off and she wants to take testosterone, I see what I just said. I mean, I see a teenage girl who's going to a clinic and wants to have testosterone and get her breast cut off and that she probably, you know, I'm very curious about why she would want to do this. Mm. And it worries me. And that's what I see. And so I'm curious like, okay, what do these providers see when that kid shows up in their exam room? And the answer is that they're not seeing what you and I, what the three of us are seeing. They are seeing the same vision that the patient is seeing, which is that there is this transgender altar that is kind of trapped inside, and which medical technology can let out. And that it's not just like a kind of a medical responsibility. To the transgender altar, to bring it into being, but it's also this—you know—it's this human rights crusade to do this. So they are literally, I think, they are not seeing the patient who is in front of them, and they are not thinking about the human body as, you know, as you talked about, like as a holistic system where, you know, our, our reproductive organs are not just sources of hormones; they're not just used for baby making. Like they're part of our whole bodies. Mm-hmm our uterus and our ovaries, you know, they protect us from dementia. There are all of these things that we don't understand about what we're messing with when we kind of give somebody a designer endocrine system. But these doctors have what I think Mary Harrington has characterized very well is this kind of like the same meat Lego mentality that their patients have where it's like, well, you know, if you don't like your body, we can take this part out and we can put this part on. And there's just, there's not a respect for the human body as a very complex, very inadequately understood, very delicate organism.
1: And that, that actually, sorry, I feel like I'm hogging the mic here a little bit. Sorry, Chloe. Yeah. but I'm so interested. Um, but it does, it kind of brings to light as well. Cause something that I did see growing up, I had friends getting breast implants. It was like the okay. big thing. And. You know, I I mean we all know we live very close to the Gold Coast so most of the Gold Coast is Botoxed.
0: Um, uh, Most most people who got breast implants have now realised a decade later that they've got breast implant illness and they need to get them removed. Mm.
1: But like not only that, so many women who did get breast implants or tummy tucks or like sometimes there was a botchy job or it didn't work but mm -hmm. most of them still aren't happy with... Who they are, who they are, or how they look. Like they they get these surgeries, which are still surgeries. They're still dangerous. They still yeah. have, and there was, and they're still novel. And it's only just, you know, in the last five or so years that we start hearing about bless, bleh, bleh, breast implant breast plant, I- yeah, illness. Um, mm-hmm. And thank you, <laughs> um, yeah, which you know is, has been huge, but it's mm-hmm. um yeah I feel like surely especially our plastic surgeons can look at that and be like okay so I I changed this woman's body Mm -hmm. and it didn't help her mental state like I think in very Mm -hmm. rare rare moments it helps the person's mental state and yeah their love of their body and like and and surely you can like use your critical thinking and be like (laughs) so at least you can take you know breast implants out you can't Mm -hmm. sew a penis back on like it's just right like like how anyway it it is and it's really concerning that that there are these conferences where there's like this mass gathering of affirming this gender affirming care it's Mm -hmm. um it's It's interesting. I think it's a really important note for everyone to take home because I mean, mm-hmm. we couldn't extrapolate from this current scenario, which is terrifying in and of itself, but I mean that like what what lengths can the medical system go to if they can be captured so easily by something that seems quite illogical?
2: Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about kind of cosmetic surgery more generally like there's a lot to say about that like for one thing i think that these are just cosmetic surgeries when we do like i don't think that they're medicine um for another thing like cosmetic surgeons are meant to screen for things like body dysmorphic disorder or basically like okay does a patient have unrealistic expectations for surgery and if a patient has unrealistic expectations for surgery, that is supposed to be like a contraindication for surgery. We shouldn't do it. Transition, by definition, is an unrealistic expectation for surgery. You can get breast implants and your breast will really get bigger. It may not, you know, save your marriage or whatever, make your pull dance. I don't know, you know, why women are doing this, but um like there are some achievable goals that are possible. But there is no combination of surgeries and drugs that you can take that are going to change your sex. And it's not even realistic to think that there are surgeries or drugs for most people that will make other people most of the time see them the way that they want to be seen. Mm -hmm. All of these expectations that are being put on cosmetic surgery and then called medicine, like they should all be huge red flags for the surgeons who are doing this. 're not except everyone's just called transphobic
0: if they've got <laughs> theory
2: they're calling themselves
1: transphobic yeah. if they have any doubts in what they're doing themselves yeah that it, which is yeah I mean they dangerous. talk about their
2: like their cis privilege that they need to overcome oh no well
0: I, <laughs> I don't even understand that like so we have a privilege if we feel like we accept our bodies as they are so could it
1: no, maybe I won't ask that question. It could be. But <laughs> okay. I, I am, I'm genuinely curious. I might delete this later. <laughs> okay. But I'm genuinely curious if, if it was a trans surgeon who was mm-hmm. like, okay, I've transitioned. I, I did it as an adult when I 100% knew and I do actually feel better in my body and I'm a surgeon mm-hmm and I work with trans youth and in the gender affirming care model, if that, if that person turned around and was like, I have concerns about where this is going, does it then get taken seriously because they are coming within that community or do they still get shut down?
2: Yeah. So, um, I mean, there have been examples of, adults who identify as trans, not like the, someone that I'm thinking of, you know, they're not a surgeon, they're a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and they've expressed concerns about just how many kids are coming to identify as trans, and that there's a role of like social influence, and that transition isn't going to be the right answer for all of those kids. And in the case that I'm thinking of, I mean, this person was really attacked for saying that. There's not, it's like if you have concerns. If you ask the wrong questions, there is not a magical identity that makes it okay for you to ask them. They're just not allowed in this field of medicine right now.
0: That's definitely where, what I see. like I've, it's hard to just fully accept the, the entire ideology as the truth and something that we just need to surrender and accept. And if my, and that we should just be allowing schools to teach our children that they can choose what sex they are and alter their Mm -hmm. anatomy and step in that arena without any questions or critique. Not even critique, just critically analysing and saying, well, what are the consequences here? Like what are the negative effects? What could happen to my child if I allow them to take hormones at the age of eight?
1: Yeah. And why, why aren't we questioning why why there's a push to do it so young. Mm. And I think like I think that there are communities um, online who actually talk like like in in that community, there mm-hmm. are still people who are concerned with how this is moving. and mm-hmm. and some of the concerns even come from the point of okay yeah, maybe maybe your child is. Maybe your child is trans. They fall into that. ...extremely rare, small, low percent of um, of people who absolutely will benefit from hormones and surgeries, etc. Mm-hmm. The issue is that if you start doing... Is ...like implementing these practices uh, like too early, before the child has fully developed... ...so say you have a young boy and they haven't fully developed their genitalia... The surgeon can't actually then turn. <clears throat> you know, if they were, is it is it vag- vaginoplasty or something like where they create yeah. like a mm-hmm. vagina? It's not. That's not. But they try. They create something, something similar. Similar, and they can't actually do it if that child has been put on hormone blocks blockers mm-hmm. early because they haven't fully developed, and so they don't have enough. ...tissue down there to be able to turn it into that. And yeah. similarly, I'm like I'm sure there are other issues... ...for women who want, will, would later transition to men. Like it's really something that you shouldn't be looking at... ...or, yeah, or even going down the lines of... ...until they're older and fully developed. Not just for their mental state. And I mean going through surgery as a kid... ...at any stage is bloody traumatic. And so... Yeah, yeah, but you know, you, you'd you'd think that surgeons would be trying to reassure parents. Yeah, we can do this. We just need to wait. And I mean, until mm-hmm. that point, like, let's make our kids a bit more resilient. Like, look, mate. I mean, if 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 that's where you're at, you got dealt a really hard card in life, but mm-hmm. you'll you'll get through. And we can we can you know support you the best way we can until it's actually mm-hmm. safe and appropriate to go through with transition. Mm. Um, and I just feel like like that option has even been taken off the table and it just seems That's like such That's even a, transphobic. Like that is transphobic but you're just looking after like the health and safety of and like your child's general yeah.
0: well-being. So is there anybody in the online communities that have those those views or are critically, I think I already asked this before. Like analyzing what is going on for them, and are kind of supporting their peers in the community in that way, or is it mostly like predominantly pushing? For yeah, that pushing way yeah. of
2: yeah. So I think this is. I think this is related to your question. Um, there's a lot of exploration of like other potential explanations in these communities. So someone will come on and they'll say, you know, I, I think I'm a boy. I don't think I'm a girl. I also, but like, could my OCD or the fact that I was like sexually abused or that I was uncomfortable with being a lesbian, like could these things have contributed? Um, Yes. But these kinds of alternative <laughs> explanations, yeah, and it's like yes, yeah. yes. If if you're yes. out
1: there and these are the questions you have, absolutely, yes, and definitely take absolutely that into those things would
2: contribute. But the way that it's talked, like these are handled like other doubts, where they get pack- kind of packaged into like they'll be explored, but within a container in which they're ultimately dismissed. So if somebody goes on and says, okay, well, I was really, you know, I was sexually abused as a kid, and Could that have contributed? Other people will respond and say things like, well, I mean, a trans person can obviously be sexually abused and that doesn't mean that you're not transgender. They'll explore these things, but they don't allow these things to have any meaning or to have any consequence where it's like, okay, maybe you should reconsider. Mm. It's a join us situation. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, the, the kind of overall dynamic is, okay, if you're questioning, then you're trans. And if you have doubts, your doubts are a sign that you're trans, like everything is a sign.
0: Interesting. And do you see, um, people in that community who have detransitioned stay in these communities or are they pretty much, they leave and they're out and they're kind of not supported Mm -hmm. by the same people who kind of, uh, encouraged them to walk that path.
2: So there are a couple of different varieties of what it means to do transition. And there are certainly some people who transition and they're part of an online community and then they'll come back. I've been seeing more of this recently and they'll say, "Mm, well, I decided that this wasn't right for me, but I'm still totally trans supportive and I'm really glad that I did this and I went on this gender journey and I don't regret that I look more masculine and that I had these surgeries. And they're kind of, that kind of person isn't going to get ongoing support in a trans community, but because they're upholding the whole narrative, they'll get really positive responses. But if you detransition and you have regret, or you think that you were medically harmed, or you are you know, kind of breaking up with the belief system that led you to believe that you were trans in the first place, you're kind of questioning all of those things, you are not going to be welcome in the communities in which you were questioning your gender in the first place. And something a lot of detransitioners mention is yeah like when you detransition, you lose completely that support network that you relied on
0: that's so sad that's and they have sad. to
2: I mean they have to build a new one
1: and I just like I see like I, I mean having spent a lot of time in the birth world and birth communities I mm-hmm. actually see, see so many similarities there it's like women okay. who have hospital births and a number of things like their birth just did not go the way they planned but they came out with a a alive mom and a alive baby and so yeah even though they feel you know and and they'll talk about like and you hear like women expressing their birth stories and they're like oh thank god for this medical intervention thank god for my obstetrician thank god but, you know, they'll talk about I got a, a vaginal examination during a contraction and it was the most criminally painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. But thank mm-hmm. God for the medical system that they were there. And and then, you know, the, I got put, like, I got induced and baby's heart rates are going down. So then it, I was rushed mm-hmm. off to a, um, a to the, yeah, an emergency C-section... Thank God, because otherwise we would have been... ...and they they justify these things that happened that, you know... ...I mean, we're, here in Australia we're going through a massive... Um, ...what is it, the birth trauma. Oh my gosh, my pregnant brain is really kicking in right and now. And you expect me to pick <laughs> up yeah, the <laughs> my <laughs>
0: pregnant brain. <laughs> mm. um, That's a big kind of like case with... Yeah, uh, in- inquiry. inquiry, that's it, that's yeah, the word. We got the <laughs> inquiry.
1: So yeah, there's this massive birth trauma inquiry happening here in Australia at the moment which is looking into obstetric violence and all of these, mm-hmm. these things and yeah, you just, you can hear it and obviously sometimes absolutely medically necessary but probably in the majority of cases absolutely not and these women are coming out depressed and traumatised, they don't have connections with their babies, they don't, and but they will gaslight themselves and be like, thank God, thank God that I Mm. got this. Mm -hmm. And then the people around them are like, but, you know, if they're upset about the, you know, the journey that their birth process took them, they were hoping for a vaginal birth and ended up in an emergency section where, C-section, cesarean, C-section, ugh, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they were, ...knocked out and weren't even awake for the process. Mm. Then then they've got their family and friends surrounding them going... ...yeah, but at li- like at look, at least you've got a healthy baby. And there's mm. just all of this trauma in that that needs to be unpacked... ...that needs to be heard, it needs to be felt. And your community
0: yeah. is in this mindset of you were saved and your baby was saved. And I think similar, similarly with the other side of the story... ...is if you choose to free birth next time or... Home birth. Those people are like, you are. not irresponsible Yeah, you are on your own with this. Yeah. I can't support you with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing it's you know it's like this. It's it translates to the mindset. people who opt out of the their yeah. transition. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not to the same not but to the too, same, but there because, are very yeah. similar. No, but
2: I can see similar. I can see some of those similar dynamics where it's like, okay, what if you have an experience that doesn't fit, you know, the way that other people have decided it should go? How do you get support mm. yeah and it it's yeah
0: it's minimal it's big mm. it's always nice to just explore it and try to come from a grounded position and critically analyze what's going on instead of blindly upholding an ideology that can you know be potentially harmful and irreversible for our kids and so um, but I think too, I think there's, there are so many moms, especially
1: moms and parents who are looking at what's happening. They're like, oh, something, something in here doesn't feel right about this. And mm. it could be yeah. part of like your social community. They're, you know, upholding all of this and like really into it and protect, I mean, I, the number of times I've seen protect trans kids and I'm like, yes we, we actually need to, <laughs> we need to, yeah, but it means
2: such different things. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. and so, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think it's the work that you're doing, Eliza, is just so important because it does bring, a a level of groundedness and logic to the conversation that I feel is really lacking. Um, especially because I mean, me and Chloe can talk about it and get quite emotional, just thinking at it, like thinking of it from an, parents perspective and Mm -hmm. you know I I know who I am and I'm grounded in myself but now I need to guide my children to to, arrive at the same destination yeah so it's um yeah thank you thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you so much for having me yeah and giving us this yeah incredible knowledge and um sharing your work because it is it is super important I think everyone needs to listen to it and um remain
0: open-minded yeah
1: and just consider I don't know and there's probably a lot of parents who will listen to this having not thought about it but feeling like okay that's that's why I feel uneasy about this I'm actually (laughs) I'm not the only one feeling uneasy I don't have to shut myself down or explain Mm -hmm. it away as internalized transphobia like there are actual legitimate concerns here and I am valid in that so um yes we we thank you (laughs) all right it was lovely to talk to you guys thanks for tuning in to the road to wisdom podcast to join the journey you can follow us on instagram at the road to wisdom podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com don't forget to subscribe and leave a review we look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content